Leadership Arts Review, a dynamic podcast about the art and science of leadership. Join us as we explore a different leadership book each episode. We'll help you navigate all the theories and strategies out there and find the elements that work for you. We'll share what we liked, what we learned, and what we recommend. I'm Kate. I'm Nitya. I'm Alyssa. Today we're talking about The First 90 Days by Michael D. Watkins. Transitions offer a chance to start fresh and make needed changes in an organization, but they also place leaders in a position of vulnerability. Missteps made during the first months in a new role can jeopardize or even derail your success. In the first 90 days, Michael Watkins lays out a theoretical framework you can use to make sure your first 90 days set you up for success in your new role. So the first 90 days, let's just start with the highly abstract Why might you want a book about the first 90 days on a job? I know that for people who are in any kind of career transition, but especially those who are moving into a leadership position for the first time, it can feel daunting. And equally for others, it may not feel daunting enough, (laughs) if that makes sense, which is that there are those who feel like they have absolutely no support whatsoever. And so for them, this book is helpful because... A switch to a leadership position is a fundamentally different kind of job. And for those who don't feel nervous at all, this can help with correcting some of those early errors. Because as a leader, especially a new leader, you're a lot more visible. And the things you say and do, the first impressions you make just carry a lot more weight than they would otherwise. So I'd say that's why. I really like that framing of for people who aren't daunted enough, because I do think there are a lot of people who have gotten where they are on some really good instincts. And you have some really good instincts moving into a new role. And yet this book really describes and walks you through specific things to think about. You still might have really good instincts, but this gives you a way to put those instincts into intentional action. Yeah, it doesn't make the instincts wrong. And it doesn't say you can't use anything from your past experience, but it does add on top of that and help you be more effective. I agree. Anybody who's been around the leadership space for any length of time has heard stories of someone who came in to the top of an organization with a mandate to make change, who starts making change right away. And six months later, the board is kicking them out because it's actually fallen apart completely. And there are reasons that that happens. This book lays out some of why they happen and gives some advice about why, (laughs) why, and therefore how to avoid it. Let's just start with talking about the book specifically. I would say the book sort of takes the approach of having do's and don'ts. So what should you be doing and what shouldn't you be doing? It lays out both the strategies to employ in the first 90 days, as well as the traps and pitfalls to avoid. I very much experienced it that way. I would agree. I like the way that it is laid out in terms of even just the chapters and the way that it directs you to look at it. So first kind of laying that foundation of here's why 90 days is critical. And then how to look at the different parts of the job. What are you really walking into? And then getting even more specific and saying, okay, if this is what you're walking into, then you want to approach things this way. With the STARS portfolio idea, it had a little bit of a choose-your-own-adventure vibe to it, saying, take a look at the landscape, and then if it's this, 
you want to be considering this. If it's this, you want to be considering that. And I just thought it made it logical for someone whose thinking might be a little bit more muddled. Yeah, the clarity of the way each of the pieces is taken step by step is really useful for the people who are feeling overwhelmed about stepping into a new leadership position. It's really precise. And then if you're not daunted enough, (laughs) that other place, it's actually sort of like, okay, are you not daunted because you've actually got each of these handled? Or are you not daunted because you've forgotten that this is going to matter? And that I really like. The thing that really struck me about this is how much attention early on, sort of when you step into an organization, how much attention to listening and learning you should be doing. I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are about how he presents that approach and also your experience of being in new positions and how much listening is possible, how much you have to pay attention to making it conscious. It's kind of a big, wide open question, but let's dive in and go wherever you guys want to go. I'm ready to dive. I mean, I, for one, did start a new position during the year 2020. And while it wasn't my first leadership role, it was a role at a new organization. And it is true that the first, well, I'd say more than 90 days actually have to be spent in listening. The book brings up the action imperative, which is one of the traps that new leaders especially fall into because the whole course of their career is what they've been rewarded for is typically high productivity, getting stuff done. And so whether they've been promoted internally at the same organization or moved to a new organization, the tendency is to do the same thing, which is take action, do things, be productive, make change, and generally be seen as doing stuff. (laughs) Because there is a natural human tendency to want that visibility for getting things done too. But actually, that's not the way to go. And I can personally attest to that because I've actually fallen prey to the action imperative myself in previous roles where I've gone in and wanted to do, do, do and get into a proving orientation, as it were, instead of staying in a learning orientation. I liked how that was presented. And I have also been on the other side of it where I've been at an organization that has hired a new leader and they've come in and just kind of flipped the table. Too much change too quickly. Now I'm here and everyone must know it and we're doing things differently now. It it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. One of the themes I think running through this book and why I think the action imperative is something to avoid is because what got you here won't get you there or what worked then isn't going to work here necessarily. And we so often rely on our past experience and past successes and try to do the same thing in this new situation. And I think the book says that not only is that not going to help you, it may actually hurt you because early on, people are looking to see whether you're going to listen to them and whether you're going to include them in decision making. And if you don't, and if you flip the table, you're just confirming those perceptions. Yeah, he talks a lot about you're going to have a reputation whether you want it or not. So being intentional about how you build that reputation and rather than coming in saying, I need to show everyone why they hired me, like you were saying in terms of, you know, the proving it factor, that idea of taking some time and establishing credibility through listening, that it's not just, hey, I'm coming in, here's my way of doing things and it's all going to be great. 
but establishing that credibility and showing people what's important to you, bringing people along in terms of how you want to impact the organization, but also the impact that you as a leader will have on individuals and showing them that you're listening and that you're coming in wanting to know from them what's been successful. What are some things that I should be on the lookout for? And I like that question of, if you were me, what would you focus on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because I just started a new job. I'm coming up on the end of my first 90 days. And the action imperative firstly was like, yes, I was in that place of like, I want to prove that I can do things. But also it was thrust on me in some really interesting ways. One of the things, Alyssa, you referred to the STARS portfolio, which comes out later. If you step into a turnaround situation, you actually have to take action sooner than if you're in some of the other situations. And a turnaround situation is when you step into a burning fire, right? You step into an organization that's in serious trouble. Sometimes you don't have as much time and actually need to take some steps and then you pay attention to the response to those quickly. And I was in fact put into a place, go in and do some work and be useful on day two in my job. Yeah. And even then, the first thing that I did was talk to the eight people who were involved in that situation and to listen to them. And so I didn't have a chance to get the whole perspective in terms of the whole part of the company that I was going to be in. But I did make sure that the first two weeks with those people, I was asking really pointed questions and really listening to the answers. In terms of the rest of the organization, I've been asking a lot of those other questions and doing a lot of listening. But it actually was really, really hard to be part-time in this situation where I needed to take action sooner rather than later and part-time trying to actually stand back. And I tripped over myself sometimes because the lack of clarity about when I had time to, <laughs> to actually do the deeper listening wasn't easy to manage. Alyssa, you and I have both mentioned the STARS portfolios. This is actually a really useful set of distinctions that he makes in terms of the kinds of situations you might find yourself stepping into. So S stands for startup. So something that's getting started, new organization, beginning energy, turnaround, which uh, as I mentioned earlier, is that place where something's going wrong and it needs a quick turnaround to solve a problem. Accelerated growth, that's the A. R is realignment and S is sustained success. Did anything in any of those pieces strike you as particularly interesting or curious or surprising when you read that framework? I know that in my career, I have worked at four out of five of these types, specifically startup, accelerated growth, realignment, and sustained success. I don't think I have joined a company for the first time as a leader that was in the turnaround phase. But nonetheless, what surprised me was that in all four of those situations, many of the same lessons still apply. Even though you have to tailor your approach to the stage that the company is in and not introduce big company stuff at a startup or move too quickly for a big company and what have you, that's true, of course. And I think that's what the, the model is getting at. But so much of the same things still apply. It's still all about relationships and about listening. As you said in your earlier example, Kate, even when a company is moving fast or something's on fire, you still have to slow down to some degree and at least in parallel ask questions 
and listen more than you're speaking. And that's because, and there's an Amy Cuddy quote, I believe referenced in the book that says that when people meet a new leader for the first time, the first question they ask themselves is, can I trust this person? And the second question they ask themselves is, can I respect this person? And, and you notice neither one of those questions is asking, what does this person know from their last job? <laughs> or how much revenue can this person generate? Those aren't either of the first two questions. They're all about relationships. And so I think the STARS acronym resonates because all companies are different and it depends on what stage you're at. But they're all still run by people and you still have to slow down and connect to those people before before you do anything. Now, I think the challenge with that as you sort of identified, Kate, is that the book also talks about quick wins and early wins. And I would imagine that some people would see that at odds with slowing down and listening and talking to people and seeing what the needs are. It's hard to do those things at the same time and listen for 90 days and being learning mode while also achieving quick wins. So that is the dance that I think new leaders have to dance in order to make impact. But overall, I liked the model. Yeah, I think like all of these things, the model works until it breaks down, but it's really useful to have the framework. I mean, I remember I was very new in the job when Alyssa said to me, because she was reading this book, which of the stars places are you? And I was like, I don't know yet. <laughs> I haven't actually listened enough to figure it out. Because when you join an organization, unless you're right there at the founding, you're jumping on a moving train. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes it's very clear why you're being brought in. He gives examples in the book of people that are brought in specifically for a turnaround or a realignment. And I think a lot of times you don't really know. You might not know. So having this framework as something to think about, Nithya, to your point, there's still that foundation of things that any leader should be doing and should be focusing on in their first 90 days. And then I feel like this is, you kind of start out wide and then the STARS model can help you narrow in certain points that you need to in terms of how to direct some of those behaviors specifically depending on what the organization needs from you at that specific time. I like that approach, Alyssa, of starting wide and using stars to help you narrow. And I also want to expand on something you mentioned, which is what if you don't know the answers to some of these? So some of the questions that are presented in the book involve gaining alignment from your own manager when you go into a new company about what the priorities are, what the biggest unanswered questions are, what people need, what does success look like, you know, help me define success, all these things. And they're, and they're great questions. And I think they're very important. I have worked in plenty of jobs where not, not just my manager, no one really knew the answers to those questions. They knew that they needed me and my skill set in a sense, but there were no clearly thought out answers for what are the top priorities or what will success look like for me at the end of 90 days or six months. And so I, I also want to empathize with the listeners who are maybe hearing this and going, yeah, this is great to sit down and have these one-on-one -on -one conversations and get these questions about alignment and priorities and needs answered. But some organizations just aren't quite there and don't have those questions answered. And, and part of your onboarding as a leader will be actually to help figure those things out. So you can't always expect that they'll they'll answer it for you either, especially at those startup stages. But even at, at some larger places, you're not necessarily going to have all that clarity and you have to be able to operate within ambiguity too. Yeah, that is really powerful to remember because if the answers to those questions aren't clear, then that's a place that there can be some value that can be brought at some point 
maybe not in the first 90 days, but in terms of actually slowly guiding the organization to actually having better answers to those questions. The questions to ask your boss section is incredibly valuable because it does use that sort of how fast you can do it is kind of questionable. You might want to do these slowly. And it talks about start with the overall, what do you want from me now kinds of questions. And don't start talking about what resources do I have access to and what resources can I have access to until you've had some of these underlying values and success criteria kinds of conversations. And yet it lays them all out there saying it would be good to have at least preliminary conversations on all of these topics during the first 90 days. If you don't know anything about what resources you have access to that you might be able to have over the next six months, you're going to be stifled. So you need to have those conversations, but maybe it's not your day two conversation. In preparing for this, one of the questions that you sent to us was, was there anything that made you sit up and pay attention? And my response to that was this whole idea of five conversations, being aware of five different topics and being conscious of the timing. So just what you had said was my answer to your question about something that makes you sit up and and pay attention. Because I think we're all, again, getting back to our instincts, we all would plan a conversation with our new boss and we would come in with specific questions and things we wanted to make sure they knew about us. But getting a structure like this of saying, you have a conversation about the situation, you have a conversation about resources. Yes, they're going to overlap. And yes, you may cover more than one in any given conversation. But going in with that idea of separation and sequencing and timing That was something that got me to sit up and and pay attention. Yeah. For fullness of disclosure, the other conversations that you didn't name in that five are expectations and style and personal development. And simply to be that conscious of, I want to have these conversations over the course of these early weeks is really powerful. To not save the personal development conversation until your first performance review, I mean, how valuable is that, right? I also want to point out here that the thing that made me sit up and pay attention at Kate was not something spelled out in so many words in the book, but more an, an undercurrent in the book, which is that we have to remember this book was written at a time before the kinds of conversations we're having now around bias and discrimination and diversity, equity, inclusion were happening. This this was not written in 2021. And so it's important to know that there are going to be new leaders transitioning into positions who will absolutely find value in many of these pointers, but will also feel that it's not quite as easy as showing up and as long as you do these 10 things, you're going to fit right in and, and add value quickly. Uh, that there are a lot of other types of conversations that they have to have, that it's even more important, for instance, for women leaders or uh, leaders of color and other marginalized communities to be able to have an internal support network and to feel like they have other people besides their immediate boss to have some of these conversations with because bias is inherent in the system. And there's a, a quote in the book around rowing against the tide and how 
If you don't do these things, you can often feel like you're rowing against the tide. And that can be hard for, for leaders who are just different from the norm in one way or the other, even harder, because they're going to feel like they're rowing against the tide just because of who they are. And I, I just thought it'd be remiss not to, to mention that because we can't, these aren't necessarily one size fits all, these rules and best practices. Yeah. The other thing that's in there is that often you will find people who are brought in specifically because their skill set is different than what's already in place or their way of thinking is different and that that's actually the asset that they're bringing. And so whether we're talking about implicit bias or underlying cultural norms or diversity of thought, there's that range of places where the conversation actually needs to be bigger. And you could make the argument that they show up in sort of the style and expectations questions here, but they're certainly sure. not explicitly addressed in this book. Yeah, so which is why I think it's additionally important too for leaders to, as the book says, have an external support network outside of the relationships they're building internally. I know that all of us are coaches and of course we'll probably lean in that direction to say, get a coach. I will say that without any shame that I absolutely think it's important to invest in in a coach or, or in, in relationships like that to be able to guide in these conversations so they don't feel quite so alone. I have definitely felt like that. I have gone into organizations where I was presumably brought in, as you said, Kate, to add a diversity of thought and to make great change very, very quickly. And yet it wasn't seamless and balancing the, I, I want to use my own judgment and bring that in because that's what you hired me to do with, uh, hey, you all kind of think a certain way. And I, I kind of don't know how to break into that. You know, that was tough. It's definitely a challenge that many people will face it to different degrees, but at least least I can say with this book that you don't have to feel quite so much that you're, you're battling it all by yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that struck out to me as surprising was when he's talking about getting that external support network in place, as well as your internal supports, he talks about your family and taking care of your yeah. family and recognizing that your family is going through a transition just as you were going through a transition. And you actually have to take care of them in many of the same ways that you have to take care of the organization that you're going through. And I thought that was really powerful to have included. There's a lot in here that I thought was echoing a great companion book to this is the managing transitions that we've already discussed. Yeah. And to your point, Kate, he does talk about this is a transition and he does talk about paying attention to that. And, and as you said, not only to yourself, but to other people in your life and also paying attention to it from your team and from your direct report and how you want to present your leadership brand, he talks about, to put yourself in the shoes of the people you're coming in to lead yeah. and think about what this transition is like. And there were some very common traps that he talks about avoiding, one of them being bad-mouthing somebody who came before you. Yeah. I think it can be really easy to feel like you've been brought in to kind of be the solution. And if you're the solution, then the other person was the problem. Shift that mindset. And going back to what we were talking about, about listening, great, get the lay of the land and see what might need to change. But don't alienate people by talking badly about someone that they previously 
may have really trusted. Yeah, I love that. And there are a couple other ones just to build off of that, Alyssa. I think another one they talk about when meeting the team that you're going to manage is don't have these be just casual one-on-one get to know you conversations. I think that's the other, another trap is <laughs> there's bad mouthing the, your predecessor. And then there's the let's hang out and get to know each other, which is ripe for <laughs> unfairness and bias and contributing to a culture of like, well, if you're chummy with the new boss, then all is well, which is not the point of the conversations at all. The point is to get answers to some of these very key questions around what's going on and what needs to change and such. And so He talks about, hey, structure those conversations. Don't just have them be hangouts. And I think the other one that is is discussed there is around coming in and restructuring a team. Often leaders are brought in to say, okay, you have to reorganize this department and indispensable talent, in quotes, has to be determined, right? Who stays, who goes very often. And that's also something that you don't want to alienate people by coming in and saying, I'm going to do this fast. I know what I want because... You're at risk of keeping the people that you immediately get along with (laughs) or who think the same way you do and letting go of people who think differently from you. But there's also the risk of of maybe looking at performance records and saying, okay, well, who did well the last two or three cycles and who didn't? You can't even really base it on that because talking of the former boss or the predecessor, some people just may not have been managed towards their abilities or managed in a way that brought out the best work in them. And so maybe that was reflected in their performance. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do the same under your leadership. And so giving people a chance is really, really important. I, I really liked that whole discussion. Yeah. The importance of balancing listening and using your own judgment is really powerful. I'm thinking of situations where the stories that people tell about the situation when they're in it and they can't see the whole system, they may be bad mouthing somebody who's trapped in a no-win situation because of the structure. And if you come in and you can see that, you need to not buy into the story that they're telling about where the problem is. So listening is one thing, but you don't give up your judgment. You don't give up your expertise. and say, okay, this is the truth here. You're in that space of listening. What am I hearing? What is their perspective? What did they know? They know all sorts of things about the history and trends in the organization. Somebody might've had a bad year three years ago because they were going through a personal thing. And the story that gets told about them might still be about sort of bad behavior that happened when they were overwhelmed because their personal life was off the rails. And you can come in and you can be like, really? I hear that story. Now I can go and talk to that person and see, is that true? It's it's not not just listen and buy in. It's right. It's it's listen in order to contribute eventually, which is, which is what you were hired to do. Right. At the end of the day, I think the book talks about a leader needs to reach their break even point, which is that that point in their onboarding where what they're getting from the company and consuming what the company is investing in them finally starts to match what they're contributing. That is the goal. It's as you say, it's not just to blend in and become become yet another robot in a sea of robots. It's listen to add value. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that was interesting for me starting this job that I just started was because I'm used to reflecting back to people what I see without actually having all of the details, because that's part of what a coach does. For the first few weeks that I was in, people were saying, okay, so you're brand new to this company. What do you see now that you're here? And they were actually asking me to reflect back what it was I was seeing 
because I was an outsider. And that made it more difficult for me to hold the, I'm listening to learn. And eventually there got to be a point where I was like, I am not the outsider anymore. You've had that use of me. I need to actually go into listening mode. And I think it does give an opportunity to the people in the organization where you're coming in. You actually can be an instrument of widening the content. Yeah. And that can be a really important role to play as long as, to your point, Kate, you put a, an ending point to that. Yeah. yeah, it's important to remember, I think, that in your first 90 days as a new leader, especially if you're moving to a new organization, you are not just in this for yourself and your career. As a leader, you are setting the tone for what leadership is at that organization, or at least continuing to set the tone. So if you go in and you make quick change without consulting people and you fire whoever and you try to make yourself look good and talk too much about your past experience and all these kinds of pitfalls and negative behaviors that the book outlines, not only are you setting yourself up for failure, which I think is is evident, you're also creating the example for leaders underneath you that you may be managing who may move into leadership positions in the future Thinking about succession planning, what kind of a standard do you want to set? (laughs) Some of the people who you manage might look at you if you if you display some of those negative behaviors and say, well, gee, that doesn't seem to be helping my new leader. And so when I'm a new leader, I'm not going to do those things. You might actually be teaching them (laughs) inadvertently what not to do. But also you may be creating a culture of, well, this is okay. If you if you do certain things like I can I can bulldoze people in meetings or I can come in and do what I please or I can move quickly before getting full alignment, that might actually create that behavior on your team because you're modeling it. So you don't know which way it'll go. And so you want to think about your team too in your first 90 days. This is a sort of weird place because I've actually just gone through this. But if you were going to use this book to sort of guide you through your first 90 days, how would you use it? I would use it as a reference and look at some of the systems and the processes that it lays out. I think there are some tables and some checklists that would be really practical for me. And even some of the things we've talked about structuring your one-on-ones and some of the suggestions of questions to ask when you're going to have such an emotional load of going through that transition, that to be able to literally turn to a certain page, it can take some of that, some of that mental load off of you. And I think it would be a reference for me specifically, who's not always the most structured to use as tools and reminders of ways to be consistent. I think that was a big undercurrent for me too throughout this book was the was the need for consistency. We know that people are going to respond better the more consistent we are, and yet there's so many things coming at us. It's easy for things to get dropped. I think I would use this book as a really good reminder of some of the structures to put in place so that I'm not just winging it. I agree with Alyssa. I like the reference to winging it or being on autopilot. I think that's a tendency in a new job because there is so much information to take in that you're just coasting along trying to figure things out in the moment. I would use the book similarly to Alyssa and what I would add is I would, and I have done this before, I would make a short list of the transition traps that they mentioned in the book. 
so that I also know what not to do. And I would maybe display it at my desk <laughs> or just <laughs> or just keep it in my notebook, one or the other. But I would have those ready so that I, I'm watchful of them when I feel them happening, such as when I get into action mode too quickly or when I start saying, well, when I was at company ABC, we did this. And to kind of check myself a little bit to stay in that learning mode that is so important. Yeah. I mean, what I find interesting is that I fully intended to use the book really proactively <laughs> as I started the job and it just fell apart. Like actually using it proactively fell apart when I was put into a situation where I needed to go into action sooner than I expected to on day two. And what I have found incredibly valuable about knowing that this conversation was coming up was that it was a reminder to me that this book existed. And so I was using it reactively in terms of at the end of a week, I'd be like, okay, so how did that go? Where am I in this? Am I missing some of these pieces? And the abstract sort of theoretical piece of listen, get context for the whole company, stay in learning mode as long as you can was actually more powerful for me than the checklists because the train was rolling faster than I expected it to be when I came in. Yeah. So I offer that to our listeners. There are ways to use it that aren't, let me just go through this rigidly and, and actually make sure that I check all the boxes in which it absolutely was valuable to me. Oh, I completely agree. It's very easy to sit here, not in a new job and talk about how I would use it. I would go back and just agree with you that I would use it as a reference. It wouldn't always be proactively. It would be, wait a second, I just <laughs> do this. I think there's a way I could have done this with more structure, or I could have done this better. And then I might flip to the right page and think about it that way. And it's super useful to have actually, like for this conversation, I went through and I pulled out the highlights and was like, oh, there at the end where he's talking about self-management, he's talking about personal disciplines. And I'm like, I walked in on day one and I started keeping a daily journal of what I was doing so that I was tracking. So I was getting a sense of what I was doing. And now that I've been there about 90 days, I'm actually like, okay, so what is the reflection cadence that I want so that I'm embracing and continuous learning? And I've actually got that journal so that I can go back and go, okay, this is about how fast things were moving. And I was like, oh, I didn't remember that was in the book, but I'm not sure how consciously I would have done that if I hadn't read the book, because I've read the book, this is like time number four now. <laughs> so it sinks in. It's really valuable. Yeah, that idea of structured reflection, it sounds like that had gotten into your head somehow, yeah. and you were doing it because you had read about the benefit. And I think everything that we read about and talk about in terms of leadership gets back to that self-awareness and gets back to that idea of reflection. And it's not the most comfortable thing for a lot of people. That list of personal disciplines was also something that stuck out to me in terms of things to apply to your own development, to your own day-to-day, -to, -day, to be able to go to the balcony, as he talks about it, to be able to take that step back and not only look at the organization and what's needed from you for the organization, but just what's needed in terms of you continuing to be the leader that you want to be. And if any of our listeners have struggled at any point with that reflection, the all-important reflection, especially when 
it's vague. Yeah, I see Alyssa, you're raising your hand. I'm raising my hand on here. Too often, I think we're asked to say, step back, reflect, align, journal. The all-powerful journal. <laughs> and, I, you know, it, it helps to have structure for that kind of thing. The same thing goes for having a check-in conversation with your manager or with a team member. I tend not to do well when it's open-ended and when someone sits me down and says, so how are things going? Talk to me. That's not where I shine. <laughs> and it's not valuable either. So whether it is stepping back to reflect and, and, and journal or whatever you do, or it is in a conversation, this book can be great to say if, you, if you've ever felt that those things are, are vague and you don't have enough to hang on to while you're doing them, this does provide prompts and questions and checklists and things like that to be able to say, okay, I'm going to need more than just how is this going so far? I laugh about the journal thing because to me, journaling historically has always been super vague. And uh, (laughs) the only time that I kept a journal regularly, I was 12 and um, it was full of, you know, the boy I had a crush on. Like it was just like... The girl who was mean to me all the time at school, like that's all that showed up was this, this stuff. And, and what I'm doing right now, I call it a journal, but it's very, very structured. And it starts with at the beginning of every day, I write down, I'm planning on going to these meetings and I'm planning on doing these tasks. And I have a stake, which uh, I think we've talked about in various episodes on this already, but it's something that I believe about how the world works that I think will help me through that particular day with that particular set of tasks. And I've actually got a chart and column two on that chart. I fill in in the last five minutes of my day and it's all the things I didn't get to that were on my plans to list. And then I have two other columns at the end, which are new action items that I took on that day and new work that I picked up. I call it a journal, but it's a very structured sort of task list that I can go back and reflect on very cleanly because it's not in narrative form at all. And now to put this book on the tree of leadership wisdom. Is this book at the roots, foundational knowledge? Is it the trunk, main body of practical wisdom? Or is it branches and specific tools? I know that I am turning into the the girl who cried branch, perhaps, but I would put this book in the branch category. I, th- I just think we've been reading a few branchy ones lately, which is, is a great thing. It's not a bad thing. And that's because while this book, to me, does have a lot of theoretical foundations, ultimately, the way I would most use it is in those questions, the checklists, the immediately applicable tools for that moment when I am experiencing a career transition or when I'm joining a new organization to be able to open it up and say, okay, what are those three things I need to not do and the three things I should be doing? And it's quick and it's accessible. I agree with you, Nithya. I would put this as a branch book. And part of that is just by the title, The First 90 Days, Proven Strategies for Getting Up to Speed Faster and Smarter. There's a specific time to use this book and systems and structures to put to use at that very specific time of transition into a new job or new role. It's the epitome of a strategic book that you want at this time. And now it's think away time. Each of our hosts will leave us with one thought, idea, question, or practice to think about and take away. My think away has less to do with something specific that was written out in the book and more with a question that the book generated for me. And that is when joining a new position, especially a new leadership position at a new organization, 
but even if you're promoted internally, it can be easy to assume that your job is pretty much the same as what it was before. It's just that maybe now you have direct reports. Maybe now you have a more senior title. Maybe you're getting paid a little more. But actually what this book drove home for me is leadership, especially new leadership, is a fundamentally different job from the one you were doing before. And you are responsible for different things. You need to be aligned with the organization's priorities. You have a different type of scrutiny on you from those that you manage. And you're susceptible to uh, moving too quickly because you've moved quickly in the past. So all that to say, my takeaway is to the listeners, where might you be falling prey to that perhaps of moving quickly or, or perhaps assuming that your next role is just an extension of your current role. And I would encourage everyone to think deeply about that and really think about leadership as a different role that requires slowing down and asking different questions. For me, I think the fact that this is such a specifically targeted book actually puts me in a kind of different frame thinking about the think away here. In the final chapter of the book, he lays out some ideas about what about having this first 90 days approach with everybody. And you're much more likely in your career to be part of bringing somebody new in frequently than you are to be changing jobs yourself frequently. So my takeaway is if somebody new joined your organization, how could you support them going through their first 90 days so that they had a chance to listen and absorb before feeling like they had to be in action? There's something in the negotiate success chapter where he talks about assume the job of building a positive relationship with your new boss is 100% your responsibility. And my think away would be to expand that and think about building positive relationships within the organization at all levels is 100% your responsibility. If that's the case, what does that look like? How does that impact your behaviors, your approach, and your mindset as you enter a new organization? This was Leadership Arts Review. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review wherever you find your podcast. You can find more information and additional resources on our website at podcast.leadershipartsreview.com and continue the conversation by following us on Twitter under leadership underscore arts and Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn under Leadership Arts Review. Leadership Arts Review is a 4 Impala production. Music adapted by 4 Impala from Nathaniel Wyvern's Sanctuary of the Sky Gods under license. Thank you.